Welcome back to the Comfy Chairs. This is Kate, and I want to invite you to have a seat for a conversation about leadership and learning. I've been enjoying a comfortable conversation with Erin O'Mara, gathering her insights into communication. Last time we paused with a thought about mutual respect and listening. Today, we'll pick up with thoughts on the role humility and equity play in effective communication and then dive in to understanding how leaders can use those skills to empower their teams, mitigate bias, and develop their own abilities. I want to go back to humility if we can, if I can boomerang around a little bit. I I think there is a lesson for leaders in, let's see if I can capture the thought that went through my head. Here's what I want to ask you. What... What are some of the practices that leaders can pursue to be more, the language that comes to mind for me is empty vessel, that instead of preparing my rebuttal or my response, that let me sit and listen and then, and then think and respond. That's a really good question. It's a, it's a mindset shift. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think a lot of leaders do this. And so I don't want to suggest that they don't. And when I just use the word leaders, I know there are great listeners out there because it is a yeah. mark of a great leader. It's really important. Same. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah, yeah. It can be easy to paint them all with the same brush. Yeah. So anybody who's struggling with it, it's a mindset shift. You know, ideas can and should come from anywhere. And when we think about equity and inclusion, we want them to come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we want to set up systems in our companies where people feel safe to show up fully and authentically and, and share their expertise. They can't do that if the model from the person in charge is to shut down the exchange of ideas. And so I think it comes down to thinking about the greater good. It comes down to allowing yourself to be humble in the moment. The fact is leaders have a lot of power. You do not have to wield it constantly. And there is a lot of power in giving everybody else space. So sit in that power silently and allow people to share and show up authentically and share their expertise. The, the value in that, I think, if people try it, will be so evident that to adopt it as a practice will become easier and easier. Mm -hmm. If I may add to that, one of the things I think is very important in leadership, well, and in life, you know, whether it's I'm leading a team or, you know, with a spouse or a friend, it's what I have referred to as showing your cards, that you should be very transparent about you know, this is the thing going on. This is what I'm working on. So if you're a leader who recognizes 
I'm always thinking about what I'm going to say instead of truly listening. I recognize that that's a problem. Tell your people, I want to improve my listening skills. That means that I'm going to make every effort to fully engage in what you're saying. Think about it, but not think about my, my rebuttal immediately. That means when you're done sharing, I'm probably going to need a moment to think. Yes. Yeah. And so that's brilliant. Yes. Why not be vulnerable? Yeah. And you know, it's the Aaron gives me her input. And instead of starting immediately saying, all right, let me reflect on that for a second. Okay. Here's what I have to say is by and large, it's not going to take, you know, an hour to come up with a thoughtful response. So you're not losing time. And you're gaining trust and ultimately effectiveness and productivity. Yeah. And, and even to add to that, let's say you don't have the thoughtful response. It's okay to say, I don't know. And I'll get back to you. How radical. Radical. (laughs) And I love it when anybody on my team tells me that because they're being thoughtful. Yeah. Nobody should be on the spot. Nobody has every answer. Great. I don't know. I'll get back to you. And I think that's really powerful for a leader to say, I think the other thing, and, and, and I am guilty of this. I, I'm, I interrupt sometimes it's terrible. I get excited and, and I, and I can interrupt people. That's not good listening. That is a, that is bad. It's rude. It's not okay. Um, I haven't done this yet because we're mostly in the virtual world, but Bring a toy buzzer to the meeting <laughs> and let somebody buzz the interrupters. Every yeah. interrupter, in, you know, including, including you. Yeah. Including me. Yeah. Well, I think it's, this is not, we're also not talking about an all or nothing case. Like This is not boilerplate approach for every type of conversation or communication you have. It's, are you being intentional and you know, intelligent about how you're engaging because you're having a casual conversation. Of course, there'll be interruptions. Of course, you'll have, oh, this is what I think I want to say. Oh, I thought of this other thing that's totally off topic. That's okay in that setting. But using that as your toolkit, anytime you engage in a dialogue or delivering communication is problematic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your point, and it's an important one, is context matters. Mm -hmm. And there should be a difference between casual conversation and the conversation you're having with friends. And and sometimes part part of what makes that conversation so special is that there are interruptions and there's laughter and there's building and there's speed. And that should happen. If business communication, when you're really trying to listen, it doesn't work that way. That's not effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which also doesn't even mean that there's not a time for it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have, you want good relationships with these people on your team. You, you want some of that, that energy and that joy and a little bit of abandon in your communication because you want to know them. Yeah. I like that a little bit of abandon. 
Well, it's, I think what we're talking about again is humility because that gives you the flexibility to recognize, oh, this is, this is the approach I need for this, for this setting, for the context, um, as opposed to the pride of my way is the right way. I think it's very interesting that humility keeps coming up in the discussion of effective leadership communication as we're asking people to to sort of demonstrate an expertise, but to get there, you have to understand that you're flawed. Yes, and you know what's interesting? I don't remember that humility as a part of leading was always in the formula. It was not. It was not. One could probably argue that that's what got us here. (laughs) (laughs) A really fair point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible how, how people are embracing it and talking about it and talking about what it means to them and that this concept of humility comes out in communication in so many different ways. You know, it comes into the, into the listening and the delivery, you know, it comes into the emotional intelligence and um, inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this sort of relatively new concept, not in the world, but to business, it's really powerful. What do you think that, that shift, where do you think it's coming from? And I know that's a loaded question there. It's so many social factors, but I'm really curious because you seem to be somebody who's paying a lot of attention to a lot of things happening in the world, (laughs) Um, what your perspective is. You know, I, I think it is coming from a demand that we do better. It is coming from um, younger generations moving up in the world of business and demanding a better culture than the one I started with. It is coming from some cultural norms being broken down as they should. And saying, okay, it's right. It's not okay out here. It's not okay inside here either. Mm-hmm. And so let's think about that. And part of, I believe what has always been necessary in embracing change is humility. I'm probably being very heavy on the the change front of communication because I'm I'm preparing some leadership training on change leadership right now. And there is a, it it is vital when you're doing a change to talk about what needs to be left behind and what can go into the future with us. Because humans perceive all change as loss and we need to provide some stability where we can. Um, If it, appropriate and possible and when when we talk about this shift in how we approach leading 
and communication. Is there anything that we want to make certain that doesn't get left behind? What needs to go with us into the new? Well, subject matter expertise okay. is not replaceable. In some instances, institutional knowledge yeah. needs to come with us. But we have to be careful there because what we want is the institutional knowledge about the product or the process that's uh -huh. important for the future of the company, but not to take the baggage that we're talking about trying to shed with our that's, humility. That's a great distinction. Um, I think structure is also important. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who will listen to this and say, that's not true, but it is, I believe, important because you need decision-making trees. Mm -hmm. You need a system of effective communication going back to, I don't believe it is effective for a single person to manage that communication loop beyond five. And, you know, you could say it's four or six, but too many communication loops mm -hmm. become impossible to manage. So I, I think the structure is important because people need to understand their some boundaries. People need to understand how they can move up and through them. Mm -hmm. Boundaries is probably a wrong word. A scaffolding. Yeah. People need to have a scaffolding. I like that. I like that it, because it it implies that there's support and yes, yeah, it's lifting you up toward what you need. I like that. Yes, and that's exactly it. We need a scaffolding. We need a scaffolding for all of our communication. We need a a scaffolding for people to understand roles and responsibilities and how all of that comes together to mm -hmm. move toward a goal and people need to really understand and very clearly how important their role is in meeting that goal. Mm -hmm. And I think structure, the scaffolding allows that. Yeah. And I think it's important. And I think we, we want to bring that along. Yeah. Well, scaffolding is another, uh, another reason scaffolding is such a good metaphor for that is you're not talking about building a stone cathedral. You're no. talking about building something that can, be taken out of the way when the work is done. Yes. As well. Yeah. So yes, it, it can be expanded. It can be mm -hmm. shrunk. It can morph. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's not so rigid that it can't be changed, but it has flexibility that it can be adapted. So I would agree. You do need structure. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think should go, go along, not go away? I feel like here, here's where where my head went as I was asking that and listening to you and trying to really listen and not respond. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about the rise of incivility in the last few years and how that's something I think definitely needs to be left behind. So is there, to counter that, do we currently have 
the the mindsets of respect, kindness, and love that we need to to make all of the things we're talking about in terms of a more fluid environment, a less hierarchical environment, um, a humble environment. Do we have the the mindsets now to carry forward with us? You know, at least in a volume, if you will, that will actually make it effective. Or is that something that we need to ensure that we're building as we go? That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. So I think that we can have that. So, yes, we need to ensure that we're building it as we go. The that behavior has to be modeled by everybody mm-hmm. who has managerial responsibility. Yeah. That or influence. Or influence. Yes. That behavior needs to be set. And I know we're not necessarily supporting a hierarchy, but it needs to be set at the top of that scaffold. And then this is where the hard part comes in everybody has to manage it and everybody has to meet that expectation. And that's also where having, you know, deputies who understand the mission is important in that change, right? It isn't just managing somebody's upset or, you know, noticing if the light in their eyes is red or green. It's making sure that they're included and that they understand, you know, how they need to behave and how they need to create an openness and how everybody needs to also act with humility so that there's room for everybody. And if the people who have influence or managerial responsibility don't enforce that message. So if there's someone on the team who's not on board, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed immediately. Mm -hmm. They need to be given an opportunity to come around. You know, even management and hard management, people deserve, right, respect. They deserve to be heard. Mm -hmm. They deserve a chance to improve their performance always. So they deserve that opportunity to understand what the issue is, to respond to the issue, they deserve a chance to improve their performance. And they also need to be treated with the respect to understand that if they cannot be on board with, with an office culture that creates inclusion and equity, that there could be consequences. Hundred percent. I believe that giving people critiquing feedback about behavior when it does not align with values and priorities is a way to demonstrate kindness. Yeah. It's like I'm not gonna let you walk around with broccoli in your teeth. I'm also yeah. not going to let you behave as a jerk 
when we're trying to make significant changes and say jerkiness is no longer part of how we operate. Yes, I agree with you. And that's a really important point. It is an act of kindness. It's an act mm-hmm. of respect. It's an act yeah. of care that is so important. And then to to build on what you said, all of these policies and expectations, they need to be very clear from day one. That is the leader's mm-hmm. responsibility. So they should be written. It should be in a handbook. The day yes. somebody starts at a job, they should be presented with a policy that talks about the importance of equity and inclusion and what mm-hmm. that means for the company and how they're achieving it. People need to know that. And then everybody needs to, to talk that talk. Yeah. So I- no examples of someone who's not that they can point to and say, well, they don't do it. Yeah, I appreciate. So when you when you asked me what would I want to take along, the, the, the word I was thinking about was respect. And I was shying away from it because I think we're moving away from a place where respect was about authority. You know, the, that command control and I have positional power, so I should be respected. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I don't want to say respect, but I think what, what I want us to retain or repurpose or develop, you know, depending on the circumstances is respect for people's intrinsic value. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's what we should carry with us. That is the thing. I I wholeheartedly agree. It's respect for someone's humanity. Mm-hmm. I and and an understanding that that respect is the base. Yeah, it's the price <laughs> of entry. <laughs> yeah, that that you show up and you are respected and valued for being a person on this planet. And then you're given, you're hired for your skills and what you can contribute. And you're given the opportunity to show that you've got those skills and you can contribute. You're appreciated as a whole person. I am probably taking us very far down the lane away from our original topic. And I want to ask you about how self-respect plays into the scenario that we've come into, you know, so there's, there's respect for the people that work for, with, and around me, but what about demonstrating respect for myself? And that's a tougher question, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. I think, I think people in general, and I think women more often, and really anybody who has ever been othered. Yeah. has historically had a harder time demanding the respect in the workplace they deserve because demanding feels like a hard reach. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're talking about is you, you walk in and on day one, that respect exists. Yeah. And right. And part of that, then that's self-respect, right? You don't, you don't have to go in and fight to be heard or noticed or treated with dignity 
because that it's already existing. Mm-hmm. And so the, I, I think what, what women and any group who has been othered has experienced are moments when their self-respect is in jeopardy for a moment because somebody feels safe to trespass. Yeah. Are you putting, are you putting your values yourself and your value of yourself? Are you compromising those based on your work circumstances? And that's a really, right, that's a horrible position and a tough, tough question because there are real world consequences to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people people work because, you know, our economy is based on work and they have, you know, they like to eat. I do like to eat. I, I like know. to pay my bills. Exactly. Yeah. They like to have a home and they want to have quality of life. You know, they have mm-hmm. responsibilities. They have crazy student loan debt. You know, they they have kids with special needs. They mm-hmm. need to work. And so it is a shameful truth that there are moments when a calculation is made and, and it's a reasonable human calculation about what they feel they need to tolerate, what a person needs to tolerate in the workplace. Yeah. And that to me is devastating. And, you know, this should be a call and this is outside of my purview. This is, this is what I feel as a manager and what I feel from my experience that nobody should ever be put in this position. And that we need to do better because it is unbearable and it is unacceptable. I agree. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that humble, clear, customized, if you will, that's not quite the right word. I'm going to ask you to help me with that. Communication has a vital role to play in reforming the workplace so that that's not the case for people anymore. Yes. And, you know, customized might be the right personalized, maybe. Yeah, that may be individualized. Something in that that space. Something in there. But that is important, right? I mean, so someone might be 15 minutes late every day. And maybe the the leader is a, a stickler for punctuality. So what do you do? It seems to me that the, the inclusive and equitable and humble and really just ethically and morally right thing to do is to find out what's going on. You know, you're the leader, you can make the rules. And if you know, 9 a.m. on the dot is really important to you. That can be your rule. But what if you talk to somebody and you find out that they're a single parent and they have to do drop-off? 
You know, they have to get their mm -hmm. kid to school. Can yeah. you change your rule? Yeah. You know, can somebody be a valued employee and and not be there at nine o'clock? You know, I say yes. I I think somebody can be a valued employee who brings the right skill, curiosity, aptitude to a job who doesn't have a degree. Oh, yeah. It, it goes back to what does the work genuinely require? Yeah. And if the work does not require that every single person on a shift is, you know, they're in line at 7 a.m., well, then why does everybody have to report at 7? If the work does not require you to wear, you know, a skirt and pantyhose to be effective, why was that formally formerly a requirement of women in the workplace, right? Yes. And it was and not, none of that is about that. Those things are not about accomplishing the, the goals and priorities of the company. Those sorts of things often align with bias and like calcified expectations. Yes. The, so Many of these things, and right, this so is using being at nine as an example. And the the person that's probably the single parent historically is probably the mom. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maintaining that expectation and that rule, it's really in support of outdated modes of thinking, and it's in support of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And there is still, I mean, when we think, when I think about the history, and I'm just so stunned. I believe it was the Fairness and Lending Act, and that was in 1974, where women could even have a credit card and get a mortgage. That was in the 70s. Yeah. Well, the right now, remote work made it possible for women to start re-entering the workplace in the last few years. There had been a significant drop in the percentage of women compared to men in the workforce, particularly at the start of the pandemic. And about a year or so later, the numbers were showing really good gains. And now that companies are starting to demand that people come back to the office, those women that were able to work from home and manage their homes and their children's needs they're going to be forced out of the workplace again. And I'm really concerned that this move to go back to the office is going to end up disadvantaging a lot of women. Yeah, um, I agree. The, when we think of the demands and that disproportionately fall on women and, and quite frankly, our culture doesn't always reward the men who want to be more involved in the oh, yeah. day to day of a family life. Um, but, you know, women have paid and unpaid labor. Yeah. There's a lot on the shoulders of, of women and creating some flexibility. So extraordinary contributors and incredible members of our workforce and people who have so much to offer and such a difference can make, can, can show up and make that difference. It seems to me like a no brainer. Yeah. 
particularly when there are so many studies that demonstrate that women leaders have more productive teams, women-owned businesses, women CEOs, you know, have better um, earnings, you know, fill in the blank that the capabilities of half the population are not fully realized. I, I do think, you know, you said that this was, we kind of gotten into a space out of your wheelhouse. And when I think about your organizational mission statement, purpose statement, it's about a more just and equitable world. That's what we're talking about right now. That's so what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So you work in the space of how does journalism contribute to that? But I think we can draw a very clear line to the way we communicate as leaders. It's an effort to create more equity so that they can be their best selves at work. Yes, absolutely. And, and we should, we should back up to bias again, which really is what we're talking about. We can draw a very straight line from, from bias, from sexism, from bigotry. Or even, I don't like the the school you attended. I mean, it doesn't have to be as significant. No. And the, and the power of words in the workplace to either lift someone up or push them right down. It is extraordinary. So, you know, women are still confronted with being called aggressive when, mm-hmm. when all they're doing, you know, is, is being an effective leader when they're demanding performance from their team in a, the same way a man would. They are aggressive. Um, men and women of color get called angry. Oh, yeah. You know, these are words that are intended to promote and perpetuate a stereotype. You know, that that a person of color is somehow naturally angry, that a woman is so emotional, you know, that she can't possibly do her job well without, you know, taking on traits of a man um, or, you know, Mm -hmm. adding her emotions into the mix in an unhealthy way. And everybody deserves better. That is not a level playing field. There are studies that are really clear that these biases come out in performance reviews. So women are often um, rewarded in a performance review for attributes that are outside of their job function. Women get comments about how um, easy they are to work with. You know, how funny they are, how how delightful they are. Well, men get comments that say, you brought in X sales, you improve performance by Y. So a woman can have the very same and tangible result on a business, but is more likely to be complimented on things that are outside the job function. Yeah, And that holds women back. That holds people of color back. 
that holds anybody who has ever been othered that holds them back. Women and other groups that are historically disadvantaged, they're also not they're also not coached in the language of performance improvement, you know, the mentoring, the sponsoring that happens. I do believe it's improving, but it's improving so gradually you can't see it yet that it's men tend to get that that extra support um, yeah. that does make it, oh, we're talking about the concrete measurable outcomes of your work as opposed to, yeah, you you really light up the room every time you're here. Yes. Yes. And when we, we should briefly, it, it's, this is a really big conversation, but, you know, let's talk about microaggressions mm. for a moment, you know, a, a very smart and lovely woman, um, young woman at a, at a dinner party that I was at recently said it's intention versus impact. Now this takes some emotional intelligence and it takes that pause and self-awareness, but I think everybody needs to interrogate their word choice Mm -hmm. and the reasons for the word choice. You know, why do people of color um, more often get called articulate as if that's a compliment when the backside of that word is that there's surprise involved. You know, why isn't that a very basic expectation of anybody? You know, why? I was once told that I have, as the leader of a company, by a man, oh, well, you have good ideas. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Why have just good ideas, you know, or is it more? And yeah. what was the what was going through his mind when he thought that that might be a compliment? And I, I think that's also where you know, let's go back to this delicious buffet of words. Let's go back to sort of this the core truth. What are the true things about the people that we're talking with? You know, they are extraordinary. They are forces for change. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, impressive. They're dynamic. They're brilliant. You know, we have a lot of options. We don't have to be stingy with our words. No, we don't. And, And we can truly, truly reflect somebody's value in our work choice. Yeah. I, I want to, you've said the word interrogate twice. Um, yeah. That's interrogating yourself, which I love because, you know, question yourself. I do believe that part of a thoughtful, intentional, humble life is that reflection on what have I done well? What can I do different? And how do we avoid people that want to be thoughtful and do better? How do we avoid getting paralyzed in our self-interrogation room? Uh, well, I think you also have to offer yourself grace. So the same grace that we've been talking about, you yeah. know, 
offering to other people, you need to offer to yourself. I think you need to know that you are going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, we are products of our culture. We can be curious and learn and strive and we should, and those are great things. We're still going to make a mistake. Um, so I think we want to look at, we want to have the hard conversation. We want to be honest with ourselves. We want to be humble. And then we make a promise to ourselves to do better. And I think the way that we judge ourselves is that we are improving and that we are learning and that we are a better, always a better and better force for good, for positive change, for health, for equity, for inclusion, for success, for joy. And it's okay if you make a mistake along the way, your path needs to be clear. And so I think you give yourself that grace. You have those hard conversations, which is why I call them an interrogation. This, it's not a, mm-hmm. not a fluffy chat when you're, when you're looking inside. No. Um, and then you do your best and, and you apologize. If you think that you've done something wrong, you apologize. And I also want to be clear about that. There is no apology without accountability. Same and so while that, we're, please. Well, while we're talking about an, an apology, please don't ever apologize for how someone else feels. That's not an apology. No. That's right. That's an automatic eye roll, and it would be a well-deserved eye roll. Um, you need to know what you're apologizing for. You know, you need to be able to say, this is what I did. This is why it was wrong. Demonstrate that you understand mm-hmm. why it was wrong. Okay. And then what are you going to do? Right? Not going to do that again. You know, where did the transgression happen? Do you need to, was it in a room full of people? You might need to apologize to all of them. You know, some of this work is really hard. And and it's not easy. You used two words that I I just got giddy to hear that what what we're actually talking about is increasing success and joy. So it's worth the effort. It's worth the discomfort because Leaders, you and your teams will be more successful. People, you will have more joy in how you go through through the world. Again, let me repeat myself. It's worth it. We get more from this work than by not doing it at all. Absolutely. And when think about the the places where you've worked that you really loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, every company should think about how do I retain my employees? It's a, it's a tough, right. It's a tough environment. I need to retain talent. I mean, just sort of from a purely selfish point of view, doing as a leader, doing what you can do that increases success and increases joy, increases your team's investment in their work, in your company, in each other. I mean, that's a win. It really is. It really is. 
So I'm I'm going to shift us. You shared a set of resources with me, one of which I remember being um, one of my favorite books uh, on writing by Stephen King. And I, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about why you selected that short list, um, that book, and some articles and videos that you recommend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think On Writing by... Stephen King is a great book. I think it is worth the read, whether you're a writer or not. And the and the fact is, is that all right, our, writing is communication. Yeah. Good writing, people who are great writers, they write how they speak. So there's something to learn in this book. And one of the things that Stephen King says, and now I have to look for the quote, I have it somewhere. Yeah, so so Stephen King, one of his great quotes, yeah. he said, one of the really bad things you can do to your writing is dress up vocabulary, looking for long words because you're maybe a little bit ashamed of the short ones. It's like dressing up a household pet in evening clothes. <laughs> and I love this. Yeah, yeah. And and he's right. And and just you know, if we take a minute to apply that to to business writing, it goes back to brevity, doesn't it? It does. How many words do we really need to get our point across? And and how can we think about the most economic way to be clear? Mm-hmm. You know, and there are a lot of examples, you know, you can say, I think that our plan should probably be X. How about our plan is X? There's a lot of power. In, and this is also one of the reasons that when you are, when you're writing an email, when you're doing any business communication, even when the moment's not fraught, set it aside for a few minutes and come back because you will always find extra words that you mm-hmm. can take out. And there's also the, like, why are you using these big fat words? You know, well, how are people going to understand this? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know, think of, and of course now I can't think of a a word. I'll share, I'll share one of my pet peeves when people utilize the big word instead of use. Yes. The easy word. Oh my goodness. There's a time and a place, but utilization and utilize are nails on a chalkboard for me. Use. Use three letters, one syllable. Yeah, easy, easy. No, I, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. That is a perfect example. There's, is it a car or a vehicle? I know, and we all, we all do it. I'm a, a self-proclaimed word nerd. Sometimes I fall into the trap of, well, this is such a beautiful word. I want to use it. When something more common and simpler would suffice. Would absolutely suffice. There's and and I I my background started in marketing. And so mm-hmm. I I fall into the into the same traps, but there's you know, fall versus autumn and no no euphemisms, right? Like um, mm-hmm. and I just did a LinkedIn post about this, but you know, Enron's um document management strategy was shredding. Yes. Yeah, I saw this one and and right sizing no, is another one you right. mentioned that just makes mm-hmm. me want to be sick. Right. And so it might be easier as a leader to send out a note that 
talks about a restructure, but everybody knows what that is. And they all know that it means pain and change for them. So let's talk in plain language, Mm -hmm. you know, right size. Um, Those people deserve that respect. And, you know, Stephen King's point, and he did it in a funny way, is that your writing gets clunky when you try to throw those big words in. You're a great example of utilize. It's clunky. It's harder to read. It's harder to understand. You don't want to lose somebody halfway through the sentence. So let's, let's speak in the vernacular. Let's use the, Mm -hmm. right. The short and common in the best meaning of that possible so that the message is understood. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's also about accuracy and I could probably draw a connection to humility of the, maybe I don't have to come across like I keep a thesaurus on my desk. I don't have to try to demonstrate my brilliance in an email, but I also know the difference between a in light of and in lieu of. <laughs> she said demonstrating a pet peeve. <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, if you're going to use the words, you better get them right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's important. One of my my points was that we should all be kind of walking through our life l- learning as we go. And you don't have to go to a class to learn. Yeah. You know, you can have a great conversation with somebody and 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 take away from it and apply that to your life. I mean, that's that's I guess where the interrogation comes in. If you're when you're listening, are you really listening? Can I integrate this into my life? Does it resonate with me? So read Stephen King's book. You know, mm-hmm. it's an easy read. It's fun. It really is. And there's there's a lot there. There's a lot of wisdom there. Um, I think people should go to every event that your company puts on for you. Okay. And I, I not, sorry, not like the lunches and the parties, that's up to you, but when they have a learning event, uh, go. So years ago, um, the company I was working for had seminars on being a 60 second manager. And I went because I was required to. And I remember going down in the elevator to get to this conference room and going with this big group of people because they were just, you know, moving big groups in and out. And we were sort of laughing because we thought it was silly. Yeah. I still remember the lessons from that. And some of it goes back to brevity and clarity and respect. How do you manage somebody that's having trouble? How do you tell somebody they've done something wrong? You don't belabor it you right you tell them the thing very specifically here's the truth about what was wrong mm-hmm. here's how we can fix it you yeah. do it you know you don't you don't belabor the point no avoid the compliment oh. sandwich be clear be direct and be compassionate yeah because people deserve to know when they're not doing things well even more than they deserve to know when they're doing things well. Yes. Give them something to grow with. Yeah. Let, 
and make sure they walk away from the conversation feeling okay, because we all make mistakes. Yeah. And, and so I thought that this thing, you know, was going to be, I don't know, a throwaway hour and years and years later, I still remember the lessons. And so I, you know, I think we never really know where learning is going to come. We don't know where the value is going to come. Had it not been valuable, it would have been an hour of my time and that would have been fine. But it turns out it was really valuable. It was a great point. And I appreciate that, you know, um, so hidden brain was one of the resources that I shared and it's a, it's a podcast and I really, everybody should download it right away and you should listen to all of them. They're so good. And the podcast isn't necessarily about communication though, as we've been discussing communication crosses through everything. It's really, it's how you're how your brain works and how we perceive things and how we move through this world. And there was just a podcast and it's from October 30th. It is about the narratives we create about ourselves. Interesting. It's so interesting. It's about these narratives and these narratives are happening unconsciously, the creation of them. But the thing that I think everybody wants to take away is one, the power of words and the, the power of the narratives that we create. And we might create one that doesn't serve us. We can mm. change it. Yeah. So the facts of our life might be the facts, right? So maybe somebody just lost a job and maybe their narrative is, you know, I got this job. I worked really hard and I've lost the job. Now I don't have a job, right? They've just ended on this down note. But what we get to decide is where our chapters begin and end. Nobody's chapter has to end with not having a job, right? That's the middle. That's the middle. So your chapter is going to end when you've moved on from this moment. And and there are a lot of ways to, to look at these experiences of our life and decide. So this is the takeaway that I want everybody to have. So part of it is you get to decide where your chapters begin and end. Mm-hmm. You get to decide how long they are and what's in them. So the facts are the facts, but you get to decide where your chapters are. And you're not only the main character of the story, you're also the narrator. Yeah. So you get to choose how you tell your story. And you get to choose the words that are powerful in your life. Yeah. Well, I, my favorite thing ever, Aaron, is stories, whether it's books or movies or having, you know, listening to people tell their stories. So thinking about story structure as a way to approach my own life to, to use as a lens for, Processing things that happen um, is very appealing, but that you decide where your chapters end and begin is beautiful because there are so many things we don't have power over, um, but that we do. We do. We get to also choose the the tone of our narrator. Yes. Yeah. We get to decide how we interpret the facts and um, yeah, there's a, there's a quote it kept making me think of. I had to look it up, but it's 
everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not yet the end. Mm-hmm. And so I know that that was in the best exotic Marigold Hotel. I think it's also credited to John Lennon. Okay. But when we're being when we're being our own narrator, we get to decide. You know, we get to have that power. We get to have that power over the ending, the chapter ending, mm-hmm. the story ending, all of it. Well, and I think if I circle us back to thinking about leaders being effective in their communication, one of the things that you're doing when you talk to your teams is you are narrating that event for them. They will eventually take it in and interpret it, process it, tell themselves a story about it, but you are you are drafting the story in your communication. Yeah. And that's one of the many reasons why clear, humble, respectful communication is so important. Yeah. I that's a really beautiful way to look at it. You are drafting a story and like any writer, you want your story to be read and understood. The mm-hmm. point of the story is creating connection. Yeah. That's exactly right. It all that's what it all comes down to. That's Wonderful. what it all comes down to. Yeah. I can't think of a better place to end. It all comes down to connection. Oh, that is a pretty good ending. I'm so grateful to Erin for sharing her time and expertise with me. Here's a little snapshot of what I learned from our conversation. Words matter, context matters, and relationships matter. Because these work together to ensure that leaders are able to communicate, to connect with their employees. Thank you for joining me in the comfy chairs. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, or share it with others. You'll find Comfy Chairs updates and other thoughts on leadership and learning on Instagram at 123limited. That's O-N-E-2-3-L-T-D. Until next time.